0: Well, Thomas Edison, uh, he once said, until man duplicates a blade of grass, nature can laugh at his so-called scientific knowledge. It is obvious that we don't understand one millionth of one percent about anything. Sir Isaac Newton is quoted as saying, what we know is a drop. What we don't know is an ocean. What we know is a drop. What we don't know is an ocean. Both of these men are seen as geniuses from the world's standpoint, and, and uh, they, they have made major, major breakthroughs uh, for us to understand a lot of different things. Thomas Edison invented the light bulb, the phonograph film, a movie camera, a carbon microphone, along with a little more than a, about just over a 1,000 different patents. Sir Isaac Newton, he formulated laws of motion and universal gravitation. And he built the first practical reflecting telescope. Very, very smart people. It is said that Isaac Newton is one of the most influential scientists of all time. However, both of these men understood as mere humans that they were absolutely nothing in their knowledge compared to at least another being, a higher being. Newton, he didn't trust that Jesus Christ was the Savior, but he did believe in a God. He was quoted saying, Gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. God governs all things and knows all that is or can be. Exodus chapter two verse uh, chapter six verses two and three says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, as God Almighty, in the name Almighty." It implies that God has all the might that he needs to do anything that he wants to do. Absolutely anything that he wants to do. And it's confirmed over and over and over in scripture. Almighty means uh, omnipotence, all-knowing. We can know from the word of God that the Almighty cannot be stopped from accomplishing anything he desires. Absolutely anything that he desires, he does whatever he pleases, and his power is superior to all powers. And today, that's what we're going to explore. We're going to explore God as the Almighty. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see uh, just the greatness of God on display. And I'm hoping that's how you feel about the God Almighty. That that's exactly what he is. He is the Almighty. That he's the great I am. We see his patience, his kindness, his love. And we see how the Almighty holds his people accountable as well. And how he shows tremendous grace. And at the same time, swift discipline. So we're in our third week of our study of Amos. It's about a a prophet uh, a sycamore uh, tree farmer and uh, a, a man who shepherds sheep. And, and he's in the Old Testament. It's not that long of a book. It's an interesting study, something that many, many churches do not actually study and preach on. Uh, you would be hard-pressed to find uh, a lot of sermon series on the book of Amos. But today we're starting our third installment uh, of, of about nine weeks, and I want to bring you all up to, all up to uh, the same page of where we are in the book of Amos, and instead of me giving you uh, the backdrop of that, uh, we've, got, we've got a little video, but we're not going to show that yet. First, we're going to give a quick applause and congratulations to the new grandma and grandpa who just walked in. Let's give them an applause. They're too busy on grandchild duty, I'm guessing. And uh so Mark and Lisa, w- uh congratulations. Uh so thankful and glad for you. But, <laughs> but we do have a video. This is this is will bring us all the way up to uh up to the beginning. It's gonna start at the very beginning of what Amos is about, and it's gonna take it's just about a two or three-minute video, and it's gonna go all the way up to Amos chapter three to tell us where we are in this book because today we're going to be studying the entire chapter 3 of the book of Amos. Let's show that video.
1: The book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer who lived right near the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now, the north had seized its independence about 150 years earlier, remember 1 Kings chapter 12, and it was currently being ruled by Jeroboam II, a successful military leader. He won lots of battles and new territory for Israel, and he generated lots of wealth. But in the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos... Couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom, and it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos' message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Let's just dive in. So the book opens with a series of short poems that accuse all of Israel's neighbors of violence and injustice. And this is kind of odd because the book's opening line said that Amos was going to speak against Israel. But watch how this works. As Amos is naming all of these neighboring nations, you can go look at a map and see that he's creating a circle. And when he's done, Israel lies right in the center, like a target in the crosshairs. And on Israel, Amos unleashes a poetic accusation that's three times longer and more intense than any of these others. He accuses Israel's wealthy of ignoring the poor and allowing grave injustice in their land, specifically by allowing the poor to be sold into debt slavery and then going on to deny any of these people legal representation. And this, Amos asks, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? The family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? The party's over, Amos says. God is done putting up with you. And so the opening of the next section explains why. God says, I chose you, Israel, from among all the families of the earth. This is an allusion to Genesis 12, how God had called the family of Abraham to become God's blessing to all of the nations. And so then God says, so this is why I will punish you for all of your sin. Israel had a great calling, which came with great responsibility, and so their sin and rebellion brings great consequences.
0: Okay, we're going to dig into chapter 3 of the book of Amos. Hopefully that brings you back up to speed. Uh, Before we do that, uh, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you uh, bless our time and that uh, you teach us uh, from your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amos chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, at least through 2a. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families on the earth. Our first point today is that the Almighty has designated us as his family. He's designated us as his family. Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verses 16 through 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, in order for us to be brought into God's family, Jesus had to die. He had to give his life uh, through an agony, agonizing, horrible death. But he did that at the pleasure of the Almighty God so that we could be part of his family. Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 through 50. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, this is what Jesus said Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And the Almighty God, what he's doing is he's, he's telling Amos, go out and remind this nation that they have been adopted into my family. I have chosen them to come into my family. They were given a, a forever family, one would say. And that is a awesome thing to see that when you trust in jesus christ you become part of the family of god this was the chosen nation and now beyond the chosen nation are people who come to jesus christ and come to believe in him and become part of that royal family and all too often we forget that we belong in his family that we are part of his family and that's exactly what, what they were doing here in the book of Amos. It, it's like they, they just totally forgot what, what name they were carrying on the back of their shirt during their basketball games. It, it was the name of the almighty God, the I Am's, their mascot. Tremendous to be part of God's family. And we think of ourselves as as sometimes all-knowing, that we know so much, that, that we are uh, smart enough that we could take care of our own stuff. And, and we start getting way too comfortable in our own uh, skin and, and, and think that no matter what happens, we can deal with it, and we get complacent. We forget whose family we're part of. We're constantly getting distracted. Instead of looking to God and asking for Him to direct our paths, and we shouldn't forget that that all believers, all those that trust in Jesus Christ as their King, are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's crucial to remember. Secondly, we see that the Almighty has delivered us from slavery, He's delivered us from slavery. The verses I already read, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought out of the land of Egypt. The Lord is speaking to Israel here and said, You're forgetting. You're in Egypt crying out my name. And and I heard you. And I delivered you from bondage while you were in Egypt. Leviticus 11.45 says, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Deuteronomy 4.20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance, as you are in this day. Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm Over and over and over He reminds them You were in slavery I brought you out and, and this was around 750 BC And you know what? The message isn't just for Israel then It's for us today In 2019 If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ If you don't trust Jesus Christ As your Lord and Savior You are a slave You are a slave, not a slave like the Israelites who who were stuck in, in Egypt for 400 years, but you are a slave to sin. John 8, verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Oh boy, that covers a large group of people like everybody. 2 Peter 2.19, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. But like the Israelites, just like the Israelites, who are being reminded of their freedom gained by the Almighty God, we have that exact same opportunity. We don't have to be slaves. If you follow Jesus Christ... That's that's how you get the cuffs taken off. That's how you get out of bondage. Is you look to Jesus Christ. And he frees you from from bondage. And and, and you are no longer enslaved. Throughout throughout the scriptures, Paul says, I am a bondservant. That means he is a servant, a slave by choice. I am choosing to put myself... Under your leadership, under uh, your you as my master, Galatians five one for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Romans eight one there is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is powerful to think about. Our Almighty God is calling us to be part of his family, and he's given us a way out of bondage. Third, the Almighty has disciplined us into maturity. He's disciplined us into maturity. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, they remind us that God has truly grown us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you what, some of you may be baby Christians right now. I I don't know where you are in your in your maturation, maturation process. Some of you don't know Jesus Christ at all, but for those of you who do know Jesus Christ, you are on some type of continuum where you'll never grow to full maturity, tr- uh, true sanctification. But this is about maturation and about moving to the next level in your spiritual walk, about becoming a man or a woman an older brother, if you will, and an older sister, and to take responsibility for what you've done, and to take responsibility to carry the torch and pass it on. Here's Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines much more, be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10, for they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm, I'm sure Jacob and Reggie and the rest of my kids, it's in here referring the sons, of Jose, and that when I discipline, it's maybe not pleasant for them. It may be hard. Maybe the words are are hard, or or the discipline a decision is difficult to accept. But it's being done with love, patience, grace, mercy when it can, in order to create change, in order to create more maturation. Because if I allowed, let's say, Jacob as a 17-year-old to do absolutely anything he wanted to do, any way he wanted to do it, he'd be led to a place of destruction. That is why discipline is absolutely crucial throughout all of your years. I'm 44 years old, and I need to be disciplined over and over That's where accountability comes in and where uh, people coming around you and, and, and building you up and correcting you and guiding you. That's why we lean into our Father who says, Please, please stop doing that. And we need to respond and say, It is my fault. I am sorry. That's where humbleness starts coming in. And we start growing. Proverbs 13, 24 Many of you parents know this one. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Nowhere in there does it say, do not love them. It says the opposite. Love them. Show them discipline. Why does God discipline us and ask us parents to discipline our children? Because of obedience. Because of obedience. God wants obedience, not because he wants us to be robots following him, or our children will just become uh, legalistic in what they're doing. In fact, we want to move our children from just simple compliance, listen to this, simple compliance to joyful willingness. That's what we want to be as followers of the almighty God, followers of Jesus Christ. We want to move from just simple compliance That's that's what you do when you're a baby Christian. You you simply comply with with the rules that you've heard and and the things you read in Scripture as you start to study Scripture. And eventually, it becomes joyful, joyful willingness because you just are, are loving God so much. You're in such a deep relationship with him that you just want to follow him so much. That's when you start becoming filled with the Holy Spirit. In, in a way where all you can do is just share the name of Jesus Christ. When we continue to teach and train our children this way, it's the same thing. It's maturation. We're trying to train them up. I'm going to show you a short clip from one of, from one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Uh, perhaps you've seen it. I'm guessing a lot of you have. And But this clip helps us to see how how the father, and we'll, we'll we'll use that as a capital F, how the father loves his son and realizes that discipline, it's not a cold-hearted punishment. I think that's important for us to always remember as grandparents and as parents that this isn't about being cold-hearted. This is about love. This is about growth. And whatever we do as as moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, it is a reflection here on earth of how you are serving the Almighty. It's not the same, but it's very close. That's why it's why God has designed family. That's why God has designed it this way. It's to train our sons and daughters to be kind and gentle and humble and hopefully, hopefully, eventually, holy. Here's the clip.
2: Sir, you the boy's father? That's right, Simon Winkler. Andy Taylor. Now then, what's this all about? 249A, section Roman numeral (laughs) 5. Passenger carrying wheeled vehicle making passage and or transcending area designated for pedestrian traffic only. Suspect (laughs) duly warned, flaunted said warning, and ignoring same repeated offense within a 24-hour period. (laughs) All right, so he rode his bike on the sidewalk. I was there, Mr. Winkler. Arnold was given warning and continued to ride his bicycle on the sidewalk. The offense was clearly defined under normal weather conditions. <laughs> there was plenty of room. I wasn't hurting anybody. People are coming in and out of stores on Main Street every minute. You never know when somebody's gonna walk right out in front of you. Everybody's against me! <laughs> oh, there, there son. Get not even have a little fun! <laughs> now, now you see what you've done. You got the boy all upset. Was it such a crime? Seems to me you people would have more important things to do than go around frightening children. Now look here, Mr. Winkler. Arnold was warned and continued to ride his bicycle on the sidewalk. Now, we're going to impound that bicycle he learns to use it according to regulations. Oh, for heaven's sake, Sheriff. Can't you see this is a very sensitive child? Obviously, you don't understand him. Arnold's a good boy, you just don't understand him. Oh, I think I understand him. He's a good boy, really. Little high-spirited, perhaps, but weren't we all at his age? I wasn't. The law's the law, Mr. Winkler. Now, if we don't teach children to live in society today, what's going to happen to them when they grow up? For heaven's sake, Sheriff, the boy's not a criminal. I didn't say he was. Now, what he does at home is none of our business. But when he gets out on the street, he's going to have to answer to us. I can show you in the statute book. The minimum punishment for this offense is impounding the bicycle for one (laughs) week. Well, you can't do it. I demand you return that bike and now. Now, you look here. You're that boy's father. You're responsible for his actions. Now, he's too young to be locked up. If you're not going to take responsibility, maybe I ought to lock you up. You ever think of that? Yeah, well, my dad ain't scared of that, are you? Make them put you in jail. That'll show them. Go on, Dad. Show them they can't push me around. Go on, put him in jail. He won't care. How's that? My dad'll show you. He's tough. You, uh, you want me to lock your father up? He ain't afraid of you my brand-new bike. I just got it. You'd rather I put your father in jail. I want my bike! (laughs) 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 Sheriff, there won't be any need to impound that bike. How's that? I'd like to have it. I'm going to sell it. Sell it! You're gonna sell my bike? That's right, Arnold. But it's my bike! You can't sell my bike! Be quiet, Arnold. (laughs) Barney, you won't go get the bicycle. Ten, four. No, 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 no! I won't let you! You can't do that! Arnold, be quiet! (laughs) Mr. Winkler, would you like to continue this father and son discussion in quiet? Huh? I say, would you like to continue this in quiet? There's a real nice woodshed out back. Woodshed? Mm-hmm. Good old-fashioned woodshed? Real nice one. <laughs> hmm Come on, Arnold. No, I want my bike! I want my bike! <laughs> I want my bike! <laughs> Is Ernie going to get spanked, Paul? Do you think he deserves it? I don't want to say. After all, he is one of my own kind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Proverbs 3, 11 through 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the Son in whom he delights. God will use testing and trials and various situations to bring us back to himself for repentance. James chapter 1 speaks of it. The result of his discipline is a stronger faith and a deeper relationship with God. That's why discipline happens. It's to create change. Repent means to change your ways and to change your mind. And that's exactly what God is trying to do. And and that's not to mention the fact that when you get disciplined, a lot of times, whatever that sin that's holding you, that's got you captive, a lot of times that's released. And that's what happens. The Almighty has designated us as his family, he's delivered us from slavery, and he's disciplined us to maturity. As we continue to read Amos 3, we're going to see two other things that the Almighty cautions us both when we grow comfortable and corrupt. Starting with verse 2. In Amos 3, we're going to read all the way through 15. You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city, and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who cannot prophecy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod. And to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see that the great tumults within her and the oppressed in their midst. They do not know how to do what's right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land. Literally speaking prophecy right here, the Assyrians are coming some years later. An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses before from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord and God of hosts, that on the day... I punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish. And the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. These people, they had homes. They had winter homes, summer homes. They had jewelry. They had food. They had whatever they needed for whatever time. In fact, economically speaking, they were at the absolute best point that they had ever been in their entire uh, time as a nation. And as the video mentioned at the very beginning, on our review of the book of Amos, the Israelites were drunk on their economic success. Absolutely drunk on it. And, and, And they didn't care about what they were doing They wanted to keep increasing that, even if they were smushing down the poor, just walking over them for whatever they can get. They lost the concept of caring for one another, of loving one another so they could feed their own comforts. Maddie and I were just talking about that, about love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And way too often, we forget about that second part that Jesus mentioned, about loving our neighbor as ourselves. And then Jesus went on and say, who's your neighbor? And, 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 he, and he talked about the good Samaritan, about the unwanted and, and unliked person that would be the one who is helping and serving. Our neighbors, everyone around us, every person around us who we have an opportunity to share the gospel but we get so comfortable. You and I, we, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. In fact, the United States is currently experiencing a very similar thing, where, where we've got 3.6% of unemployment, lowest since 1969. Uh, we, are, we are at a, a place where the household income, the average household income in the United States is higher than it's ever been, literally, in history. A lot of people have experienced true economic uh, gain, and they're getting more drunk on it. And they want more and more and more. And we need to be cautious of how we're getting comfortable and and how we're we're trying to figure it out. You see, there's many people in this world that every day they get up and they think, how am I going to make money? How am I going to make money? But it's not for why you think. It's so they can feed their family that day. They just need to na- make enough money so they can feed their the mouths in their homes. And there's other people who are thinking, "How can I make more and more and more money so I could feed my retirement?" I heard a, a superintendent friend of mine when he or she retires. If they can get to the age of 85, that person will be making $22,000 a month in retirement. Being rich isn't a sin. Having stability isn't a sin. Retiring is not a sin. However, too many people, just like in the time of Amos, are all about comfort. All about how they take care of themselves and how they can focus on on what they need. And they want to seek out all those extracurricular activities. Sherry and I had a super fun day planned yesterday. It was an all-day situation. We were going to have just a, a great time. Not many times uh, husband and wife with with thirty seven kids, get out all day and have a great day. And and I, I was up around six and went to turn the water on, and and the water didn't start. I could hear air bubbles in it, and one thing led to another. We had a backhoe digging up our driveway in order to find the electrical line that was. Depleted. We still went on a date, though. But as that was happening, I thought to myself, maybe I was a little too comfortable. You know, God has a way of doing that, right? How he he you start getting a little too comfortable in in your britches. And then all of a sudden he shakes something up and you're like, okay, okay. I think I even texted Sherry, well, whatever, we're going to just keep praising the Lord. I had the advantage because I was reflecting on this for many hours this week, Amos, and thinking about comfort and thinking about corruption. Those two words, sometimes, lots of times, our, our, our play with one another the more comfortable you get the more corruption seeks in One, one of our friends says boredom uh, creates uh, Mischief You get comfortable you get relaxed you chill and now all of a sudden you're creating mischief And that's what we do in our homes. That's what we do in our lives is we get bored we get comfortable. And now we gotta, we got to excite it. We've got to do something to get it more exciting. The Israelites, they were doing this in their own comfort. They were comfortable in who they were and, and what they were doing. And, and even though they were being warned over and over by different uh, prophets, they disregarded it. For you and I, You know what we do? We get comfortable with our conversations and with our friends and who we talk to. And guess what that does? That creates situations where we do not have the opportunity to share the Almighty God, share Jesus Christ. Because we get so comfortable in our circle, we don't want to share the gospel because we're not even out of our circle. We're, We're just chilling out, relaxing in our own... and and making sure that, that we're taken care of. Jesus Christ shed his blood for all of us and for all of us to have an opportunity to hear it. We should learn to love our God with all our heart, all our strength, all our might, and love our neighbor as ourselves. And that takes constant opportunities to humble ourselves before the king. That's why we talked about discipline. And God's putting up major signs. He's got huge yellow signs there and there and all over. And you know what? Many times you ignore it. You, you, you stop looking at those signs. You just close your eyes and or, or put the... Sheet over your head because you don't want to hear it or see it or or stop. I don't want to uh, ah, and all of a sudden you stop seeing the signs, and you stop hearing the the poking and and and, and the hey hey what what are you doing? Why are you doing that? <coughs> and, and and that's when corruption just starts going crazy. Leads us to our last set of points. The Almighty always has a purpose for what he does. The Almighty, he always has a purpose. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. Isaiah 46. God can do anything he wants. In fact, Yesterday when uh, uh, we were waiting for a call back from the electrician to see if he can come out on a Saturday uh, when we had no water, we knew it was 220 not coming into the house or into the water pump. uh, I prayed, hey, God, maybe this is part of your plan. You want me to go to you and say, can you fix it? Can you fix this? Yes! God, you could fix a little electrical thing. will show you a picture if you ask me about it later. I have it on my phone of what the electrical wire looked like. He, didn't, he chose not to do that miracle. But God has a specific plan and a specific purpose and, and a specific plan not just for me, but for Gary and, and for Trevor, for Nathan, and for Kamani, he has a specific plan for each of us uh, to to guide us in a certain way in our life, even though that some of us have have more hardships than other people. Because in our lives we have our own sets of hardships and our own sense of difficulties and our own sense of weakness uh, and and vulnerabilities, but God has a perfect plan, and, and He had a purpose for bringing. It, the Israelites out of Egypt so he could be proclaimed as as the, the almighty God, the great I am. Uh, so he wanted to put his people into the promised land in preparation for baby Jesus. Because he had a plan. And it's been the same plan forever and ever and ever. It's never been altered. It's never been changed. It's a perfect plan. He knew Alice before eternity began. And he knows exactly what Alice should be doing and what Alice should be doing 10 years from now and who she should be proclaiming Jesus Christ to. The purpose of Amos in our story was not so he could be a farmer, was not so that he could be a shepherd. His purpose was to proclaim the almighty God as a prophet. Yes, he did those other things. Yes, some people uh, uh, do uh, work at Commonwealth Edison, like Bill. Some people are carpenters. Some people are teachers. Uh, Some people are painters. Uh, Some people uh, grill uh, pork chops and chicken. Some people just work at home and and love on their kids and, and train them up. Some people clean churches. Some people build roofs. Some people drive school buses. All of those things are great things. But our real job, our, our, our purposeful job is to proclaim the name of Jesus to everybody in, in any way we can. That, that's, our, that's our purpose. And how that comes about and, and how that weaves in there, that's God. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he, I must go so he can come, and that's what we have. We have the Holy Spirit. When you love Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he lives and dwells inside of you. The Holy Spirit does, and he is your guidance. And we use that to help fulfill the purpose that God has in our life, which I don't know what it is. It's, it's just following Jesus and, and seeing what he does and what, where he guides you. You and I can know his plan. At least somewhat, through the reading of the scriptures. That's our next point. The Almighty always helps us understand through the prophets. Amos 3 7. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The Almighty, he's given people a, a chance to change. Here's your chance. Here's your chance. Amos is telling you, Isaiah has told you, all these guys, they keep telling you. You need to change. And God's, his decision's already been made. He already knows what you're going to decide. He sent Amos to proclaim the news of judgment, and the people didn't listen. And just the same, we see in the scriptures, all the words of the prophets, that they're guiding you and me towards Jesus Christ, because we understand that there's an impending judgment coming. It's not the Assyrians. It's God Almighty. And that judgment will come, and it will come swiftly. That's the thing about comfort and and corruption. Because we don't want to change. We don't want to change. Because it's easier. It's more comfortable. We start thinking of it like as a diet. Something that we have to, okay, okay, let me see if I can get through this week. How about just, okay, the next hour. Let me see if I can get through the next hour. We have to figure it out and get out of these comfort zones and, and, and get rid of that corruption, the, uh, the desire for uh, as much money as you can or or sex or drugs or alcohol or gambling or stealing or whatever it might be. We have to figure that out. And we do that by by going to the... To the Lord. That's our last point. We need to realize that the Almighty always hears our pleading. There's an asterisk on that as well. We'll get to that asterisk. The Almighty always hears our pleading. Psalm 139, 1-4. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Many of you know 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you loud and clear, though. The Almighty God is not Santa Claus. He is not a genie. He will not be called upon whenever you just need something. That's not how God operates. Just so you can get a wish to come true. And there are many verses. This is the asterisk. There are many verses that remind us that there are times where God cannot hear you. He does not listen to you. God chooses not to listen to you. Isaiah 1.15 When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. You don't want to follow God. You don't want to listen to God. You don't want to uh, look to God's heart. Okay. Okay. James reminds us to have a heart of love and compassion, not selfish desires, because when we're selfish in our prayers, God will not hear what you're saying. You know, many times Jerry and I have had weird experiences where someone will be like, "Hey, you know God, can you pray for me for this?" And we always laugh like you could you could pray yourself and but but in an in an, uh, an actual fact is they're right. Because if they don't trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, then their prayers, and and if they don't want to know God, then their prayers could be basically muted. But God knows the heart. We serve a a gracious God, don't we? We serve a God that that totally understands where you are and, and, and what your heart is like. Otherwise, no one could ever become a believer because he couldn't hear any of our prayers. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amos understood that. We need to understand that. That we all fall short of the glory of God, but we have the grace that has been given to us by Jesus Christ as he obeyed the almighty God. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Jesus said. And that's so we could have life. Not life here on earth. Eternal life. Eternal life. Our pleading, our prayers, they should be done out of faith. What we do, we've got to trust God. We've gotta trust that that he truly is in control, that he has a perfect purpose for our life. I'm thinking of little Jeremy, who was just born baby jeremy he's got a he's got a perfect purpose, and we don't know what it is. I don't know what my purpose is yet. Hopefully God keeps revealing that to me day after day until the day that I step into eternity, and that I never tire of that. But probably more than all of that, we need to plead to God to humble us so much that we realize the gift that he gave us in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's a pretty awesome gift. And Amos, he was trying to get the people there to realize it. He's trying to get them to change, to humble themselves and to look and honor God. And in the end, in the end, we need to see true worship of God. And true worship of God always leads to justice. True worship of God always will lead to righteousness. And true worship of God always leads us to loving our neighbor.